The church is perfectly primed and designed, created for this for this purpose. And so I think if we look at church history and, you know, where we've kind of got to where we are, you know, culture has changed. People don't live as close together, you know, with family. They aren't connected in in way. People are more isolated and disconnected and lonely than ever. And the church can be the place of healing, but it can also be a great place of pain. If we are trying to heal people out of our own sense of self rather than you know, if we're doing it from a power differential or from a, a righteous, a self-righteous place versus a place of humility and coming alongside with, you know, Jesus didn't heal somebody and then look down on them. He brought them to his, his face, to, to a side by side and, you know, place and said, you know, you're healed. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that'll equip your team and strengthen health. Hey there, welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. My name is Laura, and I am so excited because today you get to meet the amazing Rebecca Bailey, one of Hope Made Strong's ministry coaches. Rebecca and I met a few years back, and instantly there was a connection. Now, I don't know if she felt that there was a connection, but I certainly did because we both had the same systems approach. And while we were both clinicians, our underlying passion was about supporting and equipping the local church. Now, I don't want to share too, too much. I'm going to leave the rest for Rebecca to share about, but I am thrilled to have her on the podcast uh, because she is Hope Made Strong's first ministry coach. And what is a ministry coach, you ask? Well, my friend, that is a fantastic question. Let me answer that for you. A couple times a year, uh, we open registration for the Care Ministry Cohort. This is a five-month-long program where you meet weekly with a small group of ministry leaders and with your ministry coach. Together, you share ideas while the coach leads you through a step-by-step process of developing your church's care ministry with the intentionality with intentionality and sustainability in mind. Now, I'm excited to share that registration is open for January 2024 and we will begin a new cohort. So starting today and for the next few weeks, I'm going to share a bit more about the cohort. So if you are interested or want to know some more information or even register, or perhaps if you're listening back to this a few months or even years after the release, let me encourage you that we open a couple to twice a year, a spring semester and a winter semester. So check out careministrycohort.com. All right, so let's jump right into the podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to Rebecca. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the sweet intro. You just, uh, I feel like there's like sparkles or bubbles or something that just starts coming. <laughs> talking and I'm like, let me fade into the corner. 
It always feels uncomfortable when someone's doing the introduction and I often don't do the introduction in front. I've never actually done the introduction in front of someone. So I was like, oh, I know Rebecca well enough. I'm just going to go for it. But (laughs) it is really an honor that you're here. I am so excited for people to meet you and to get to know you because I just think you're amazing and I enjoy all my time that I spend with you. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I want people to get to know who you are and I actually want to get to know you better. Um, So let's start us off. I would love to hear the story of how you got started in this direction of serving in ministry. Um, So I became saved at, uh, in 2005 at the age of 30. And, um, we were living in Chicago at the time and it was just this teeny little church in a little strip mall. And, um, my son was old enough to kind of be with me in the little car seat where I felt safe enough to kind of put him in a nursery temporarily for the service time. Um, and I gave my, um, my life to Christ at that point. And in 2006, then we moved to Nashville. And so, um, it was spring of 2006. And then in fall of 2006, I started attending a church that my neighbor had invited to uh, me to us to really as a family. But my husband at the time was working in the restaurant industry. So, you know, weekends were kind of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, his work time. So it was just, again, me and my son. Uh, so we started attending this church and within just a few months, they asked if I would be on the greeter team. Um, I'm an Enneagram seven. I'm an extrovert. Um, I like to talk to people. They pegged you well. <laughs> they pegged me well. I was like, <laughs> there was a spotlight. Here's a person who's friendly. Put her at the door. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I was just so blown away that somebody would want me to represent the church. I mean, I literally felt like somebody wanted me to represent the church. Mm. Like I couldn't understand that at the door, you would want me to pass up bulletins. So, um, that sort of began my, my first introduction to really the, the whole reason why belonging is so important in the context of church is that you don't Mm. know really what someone's back history looks like. For me, from the front side, I probably just looked like this effervescent, fun, playful person. But on the inside, I was dealing with a lot of, you know, built up hurt, trauma, um, just a lot of kind of life's stuff that would, you can imagine would kind of accumulate until a person's 30. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started greeting. And then the next year in 2007, I got baptized. And that same year, Um, I was asked by the person who had asked me to greet if I would be willing to take a part-time job as a receptionist at a church that she worked at, which was a Baptist church. I attended a Nazarene church, and then um, she asked, she was the financial um, administrator at this Baptist church, and she asked if I would be willing to do, you know, a receptionist position. And I was looking for part-time work because my son was small. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was just getting ready to go into preschool, so I thought I could kind of swing a part-time job. And, uh, so I started working at, at this church, which is actually a pretty, you know, decent size, about 800 members, uh, size of a Baptist church. And, um, in that my job responsibilities were the, obviously the greeting part, but I was also in charge of benevolence. So I managed the food pantry. I managed, Mm. uh, utility assistance, conversations with people, screening them, and then also calling utility companies or any of the other um, 
you know, ministry areas that, that they were uh, able to tap into, you know, kind of mm-hmm. the resourcer and the connector. And so that kind of gave me my first intro, I suppose, into some of what, you know, we're doing uh, here in the care ministry thing. So it's just interesting for me to kind of look back and then work, you know, my way forward. So from that position as the, as the uh, receptionist, then the, I kind of went to the, the back of the house, so to speak. Um, and I was the administrative professional for the children's ministry and the youth ministry. So then I got in, introduced into outreach programs like outward, uh, Upward Sports. And so I was in charge of managing all of those registrations, communicating with families, doing that stuff. And then along the way as well, learning Photoshop and learning how to do a lot of <laughs> website design, bulletin design. So typical of a church staff person. You are going to work with families and youth and do Photoshop. Like that's so typical. You're a jack of all trades yes. when you work at a church. Yeah. And I mean, pretty much I'm kind of a high capacity person. So I, if they're little tasks, I can just knock them out really quick. And I was the kind of person that was like, okay, I have four hours left in my shift. Who needs me to do something for them? You know, and I'd go to buy the worship arts, you know, later. And I'd say, Hey, do you need me to file anything? You need me to work on anything? Hey, Rebecca, can you research this? Dream. (laughs) So then, and I was at this, I was at this church for about four and a half years. So then, um, the woman who kind of connected me to this position, Kathy, she's a really great person she was moving on to a different role. And so then she said, Hey, can I teach you on how to be the financial administrator? Oh my goodness. So (laughs) now I had a business background in the sense that like I was used to payroll, human resources, things like that. So she pulled me in and, um, we used ACS. So they had a mother's day out. So I had to do the payroll and everything for mother's day out in conjunction with the payroll for the church and manage the back of house for benevolence, designated funds, all of those things, plus learn all of the law and uh, financial practices. So in that four and a half years, I mean, I pretty much touched every single aspect of a ministry of the church. So I can, I can, without a doubt, say that that church single-handedly helped me understand the front side, the back side, the inside, the outside of everything. Mm -hmm. So that really, really changed, I think, and opened my eyes into what the church was like. And at the time at my own church, you know, I was helping out on Wednesday nights, doing a preschool ministries class, volunteers, volunteering occasionally on a Sunday morning as like a fill-in to teach a class. Um, but that church really gave me a lot of confidence yeah. um, and a lot of healing and they were just, just incredibly precious people. So that's kind of the back. Do you want to ask any questions? Cause I don't want to pause and just keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kind of stunned. I actually didn't know some, uh, most of this part. I know kind of this point forward perhaps, but this is incredible. I had no idea that you were integrately involved in so many parts 
of, of <laughs> ministry. And so when people are asking questions or coming to you with, okay, how do I do this? You're able to say, okay, from my experience, because you really have touched all the, the pieces. So I love that. Yeah. Um, so I know you that you are an ordained uh, minister with the Nazarene Church. In April. And in April. In April. <laughs> oh, and in coming in April. With the Nazarene Church. So I've okay. mentioned classes. I got one more class to go. You have 25 classes go. in the process. So <laughs> Okay. We're, we're working. We're really, really close. We're on the cusp of being ordained as well as you're a clinician. So those are the aspects that I am familiar with. So what is the transition piece that you went from serving as essentially a lay leader and back of house and just showing up where was needed to being to serving and dedicating your life to service? That that's yeah. a big transition. What made you? Was it something you experienced or something you saw that was like, no, this is what I'm called to do? Well, I hope this doesn't like you know freak people out when I start talking about visions and things like this, but. Um, <laughs> I'm the type of person that maybe it's just because my brain moves so quickly and the Lord created me. And so he knows me, uh, intricately, but he has to almost impress upon me something so clear that's supernatural in some way to get my attention. So, um, my intro really into becoming a Christian was a dream that was revealed to me, uh, about my pregnancy. And so, um, I, ba- I basically said to God, you know, listen, if I'm pregnant, like you have told me in this dream and I have a boy like in this dream, then I will go to church. So that's oh where God. like my, and so I refused to find out the gender of my son. And when, <laughs> you know, whenever I delivered my son, my husband was like, it's a boy. You know, I think there was real trepidation as far as like, what does this mean? And what does this mean? yeah, you know, so I was like, Oh great. Now I've got to go to church. You know, now I've made a commitment, like lots of things in life. But one thing I've really never been is somebody who kind of went back on my word. So fast forward, um, to 2012, I had two back-to-back miscarriages. And Mm -hmm. so that was incredibly earth shattering, which looking back, my son is basically a miracle because my body isn't really made to sustain a pregnancy. And so I had no idea. And I, you know, carried my son to term. And um, then once we went through, you know, our struggles with getting pregnant, it was like, oh, wait a second, this, you know, like my son wasn't just a miracle, because like life is a miracle, but he was really a miracle in the sense that like, God used my son to bring me to him, you know, so it was a real, from a theological standpoint, it was a real act of prevenient grace that the Lord was um, preparing for me. And so in 2012, when I had my two miscarriages, the church that I was working at part-time, they were incredibly supportive, incredibly um, loving to me and really ministered to my spirit at that time. And I just felt, you know, just devastated um, by these losses. And that, that next spring, all of a sudden, one morning I just woke up and I just said, okay, we are not going to have any babies. I need to clean my attic out. And I just need to give away everything that I have stored for these babies that I saved from my, you know, my first pregnancy. And my son was um, like seven years old at the time. And I just said, honey, mom needs you. I'm going to hand stuff down to you. And I was just weeping and weeping and weeping. And he said, mom, 
come sit next to me on the couch. I want to hold you. And yeah, he's just an incredible kid. I'm tearing up. (laughs) I know he's so great. And, um, and I just was like crying and crying, crying. And it was like, I just finally like cried the last, not the last of the tears. Cause I'm getting, you know, teary eyed yeah. about it myself. But, um, I went to work and, um, well, first I went to church that that was on a Saturday. I went to church on a Sunday. We had like a children's ministry meeting and our pastor was telling us that, um, they were going to be dividing the the full-time children's ministry ministry role into a preschool position and a children's ministry position. So preschool was going to be infants through um, kindergarten, and then children was going to be first through sixth grade. And because um, we had just, one of our children's pastor was just called into ministry uh, elsewhere. And so I remember thinking, hmm, wow, I love working with these kids, you know, but I was so torn in my heart because I just experienced these losses and I just had a lot going on. And so um, I went to work that next day on Monday. And when I left work, um, I had been reading in the time actually numbers where, which is funny because, you know, there's like Exodus and it's the same story, but for whatever reason, Exodus, it was not standing out to me, but in numbers it was when the Lord was leading the Israelites, um, Mm -hmm. by fire at night and cloud during the day. And I was sitting in my office and I remember thinking like, I wonder if this preschool ministries thing, if this is something that I'm meant to do, like it just sort of, I thought I'm not qualified. I, you know, like this just doesn't make any sense. And so I got out in my car and, um, I was actually heading home and on my way home is towards the church and I needed to go to the church. And when I got in my car, I looked up and there was literally a cloud that was hovering over my vehicle Mm -hmm. and it was in front of my vehicle. And it literally led me all the way to my church. And as soon as I parked in that parking lot, the cloud lifted over my car and completely like went away. And I just thought like, Oh, that seems strange. <laughs> so I love how you just take it so sweetly. I'd be freaking out. Like, oh, that was just like the scripture I was reading today on my lunch break. Oh. And so I had an appointment with the pastor and, um, I said, you know, I don't know. I've just been really praying. I've been thinking about this and I kind of wonder if, you know, if I could be somebody that's in charge of the preschool ministries and he leaned back in his chair and he's like, Rebecca, I've been waiting for you to, to come all along. Mm -hmm. Like you were who I had in mind for this. And so I just thought like, what, what's happening here? You know, I was waiting for like candid camera, which is probably, you know, only half (laughs) your audience probably remembers candid camera. (laughs) 90s reference. I remember, I remember. Uh, But so, you know, that was, I guess my first intro into, you know, pastoral staff ministry, but I, I wasn't licensed in any way. This was really a couple years or really about three years before I even really understood the licensing process in my denomination or what that even meant. And so for me, it was just a mat. It was a little bit more of um, a hands-on managing volunteers, mm-hmm. making sure the nursery or preschool ministries was staffed curriculum, you know, that it more of an administrative than a, a ministry focus. But what I was able to look back and recognize is that um, prior to my miscarriages, I never really understood the loss and what that loss was like for people. I think I probably, because I was so removed from it, I was very 
like, oh, well, you'll just get pregnant again. Or you, I mean, you know, like I just didn't, I didn't put it together. And so it wasn't until I had my own experience that then Mm -hmm. I was able to recognize that, wait a minute, like this is a ministry for people. And I know what it's like to be on this, this side. I know what it's like. I didn't know what it was like. I only know, knew what it was like as an outsider. I now know what it's like as an insider. Yeah. Um, and so 2013 is when I, June of 2013 is when I officially came on staff as the preschool ministries. That was, you know, part-time. And that was kind of, again, the intro to that. And then it kind of went from there in other ways, again, with a mission trip in 2014, it was another vision. And then that vision was a, um, a counseling and recovery program. At that point in 2013, I didn't even have a bachelor's degree. So, I mean, that was just like kind of a weird thing to feel like the Lord was impressing upon me to go back to school for counseling and recovery when like, that wasn't something that anybody was interested in. We were going through a pastoral change. Uh, It was, so it just didn't make sense. So all along the line, the things when they don't make sense is when I start to go, okay, Lord, what are you getting ready to teach me here? You know, if it makes sense, (laughs) nine times out of 10, that's my own brain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's not, it's not the Lord's work. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. So that was, um, just looking at time, we could talk literally for hours. Like that would be amazing. And if I hope people are feeling like they're sitting at a coffee shop with us with tea <laughs> in hand and chatting, cause this is what it feels like to me. And just seeing the Lord working through your life, all through the steps, providing for you. No, we know that God did not cause you, you know, to lose your baby so that you would experience, but um, you, you, he redeemed your experience in a way that you now can relate. And, and I just think that is so precious. And it, like you said, it, it taps into this sense of belonging of and having other people that are like, okay, there are people like me um, in our community, in our, in our church and in our congregation that could feel like this and being able to use that to, to bring people closer to Jesus is just so, so amazing. Um, now you quickly mentioned there that you got your bachelor's degree and you are now licensed as a clinical, what, what is your title? I'm Canadian and the titles are always different and I mess them up. So what are yeah. you licensed as? So it's a clinical mental health therapist. So I got my bachelor's okay. degree and then went on to get my master's degree. And then once you have your master's degree, it takes around three years to get licensed. So right now I'm at the point where I've completed all of my clinical hours um, and I have to just take my exam and I've actually just about finished. I think I've got three hours left of my supervision. You have to have 150 hours of supervision. So again, if you take 52 weeks in a year, you throw out some for vacation, you know, it takes a solid three years to get through, um, you know, all of the 3000 hours, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, uh, of clinical work. And then on top of that, 150 hours of supervision. So I conceivably, uh, our state is a bit behind on getting their licensure, but um, I'm at the place now where I just have to take my final exam and and do that. So I graduated in 2019. So, I mean, again, this is a, right. a long process. Long process. Yeah. Along with the um, ordination, it's a long process. Yep. So you are a very patient woman. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord's teaching me patience and perseverance because that is not my virtue. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
So we first met in an online group huh? and you were just talking about how church, you saw the church as more systems based and, and you're interested in like um, being strategic and, and systems minded. And I just, I value that. That is like my soapbox. Like that's like, I want to say my love language, but that's going a bit far, but that's what I love to talk about and could talk all day about. I would love to hear what your vision is or what your idea is for the church in this space of care and recovery and mental health, because I think um, our visions really closely align. Yeah. Well, for sure, I think strategic. So number one on my strength finders (laughs) is strategic. (laughs) Um, And so I, I pretty much walk into any room and I automatically am like, where's the strategy in anything? You know, I mean, it's like, (laughs) how could this be more effective? (laughs) (laughs) It's inefficient. Why is the line at the DMV to the left? It seems like it should be to the right. Cause when you walk in, you know, um, it's, it's very exhausting in my brain. Um, but yeah, strategic in the sense that strategic doesn't have to look like, um, okay, here's my next step. Here's when you know, it's not mm-hmm. meant to be robotic, but rather it's yeah. meant to provide the guideline to make sure you don't miss anything along the way, because we get distracted. The world is a very chaotic place. Ministry, you're pulled, you know, a lot of different ways. And so it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to sort of lose your place. Just like when you're reading a book, when you finish a page and you know, you're going to come back to it, you just don't close the book, right? Some people earmark it. Some people put a bookmark, you know, some people on your Kindle, that's why they've got the digital bookmark. You know, you have some, you shove something in it, a bill, whatever it is as your, as your, you know, ending point so that you know where to pick up where you left off. Well, with church ministry, I have found now that I've, you know, worked in all of these different ways in different, you know, sizes of churches and um, with lots of different people with lots of different gifts and strengths and all the things. And, you know, I've had some amazing coworkers and I've learned from all of them, but I found that oftentimes people don't really know where to put the bookmark or what that even looks like. Mm -hmm. They just might perhaps because they haven't been trained in that way and they don't think that way. They just sort of go into things sort of spontaneously and they go into things with this mindset that like, oh, I won't forget about this person and I need to check up with them. But life gets in the way. And if you aren't Mm -hmm. intentional, just like if we aren't intentional in our marriages, if we aren't intentional in our parenting, things will slip through the cracks. We won't Mm -hmm be connected. We won't stay connected to people unless we try to stay connected. So systems then provide us the way in which to stay connected and to fulfill really, you know, our calling, which is to love others. And so we can't really love others if we're kind of just, you know, loosely throwing a dart at a target we aren't looking at. So the systems are really important. Um, Okay. I forgot what the other part of the question was. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's it. It was just what your vision for the church and how its role in care. So the strat you approach things um, strategically yeah. and systems minded, um, seeing that the church has an opportunity to be effective and and impactful in these areas of care, but just kind of a lot of people are just recognizing that their church has a 
responsibility to care for their people, or there's an expectation that care is happening and just don't know where to begin or see, oh, I had no idea that that was a role or a function people thought our church should be doing. So what do you see the role or function of the church is to be? Yeah. Well, I think that the the role of the church, I mean, if we look at Old Testament, New Testament, I mean, you know, Old Testament, we weren't calling it church necessarily, but, um, you know, it was a group of people who were all worshiping, you know, the same God. So when they were gathering together, you know, they were a church at that point. Uh, and so in the New Testament, when we look at really what the church's role is, it is to create a space of belonging. It is to create a space of healing. Uh, with people. Um, I love, I love the scripture that says, you know, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know, if we, if we go by the, just the old thing of just like, oh, I'll just go to the altar, pray, pray to God. And then, you know, move along, you know, sometimes shame still can, can grow within our hearts. And so if we confess to someone else, we can only confess to somebody truly in a way and get healing in a way when there's relationship. If I just walk up mm. to somebody on the street and they don't know me and I confess something I recently did, they're like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, and move on. But if I'm in relationship with you and I confess with you, we're going to pray together and mm. it's going to be relational. And that's where healing mm. takes place. The church is perfectly primed and designed, created for this, for this purpose. And so Mm -hmm. I think if we look at church history and, you know, where we've kind of got to where we are, you know, culture has changed. People don't live as close together, you know, with family, they aren't connected in in way people are more isolated and disconnected and lonely than ever. And the church can be the place of healing, but it can also be a great place of pain. If we are trying to heal people out of our own sense of self rather than, you know, if we're doing it from a power differential or from a a righteous, Mm -hmm. a self-righteous place versus a place of humility and coming alongside with, you know, Jesus didn't heal somebody and then look down on them. He brought them to his, his face to, to a side by side and, you know, Mm -hmm. place and said, you know, you're healed. The faith of your friends has made you healed. This wasn't, even though he, was God in this, there wasn't this power differential that I think anybody that he healed or he came in contact with when he's washing their feet or when he's making breakfast for them, that that mm-hmm. is a parallel relationship. So he modeled for us exactly what the church should be. I just think maybe in the past, the church maybe took for granted some of the, some of the people that were connected in the families and the generations and the traditions that maybe didn't set up some of those systems for where we are now in our cultures, where we are now in society and uh, the desperation that's, that's there. And so we are perfectly primed if we get educated. Um, And I think um, thinking back to the question earlier, you know, is the systems and it's also being informed and educated and understanding what somebody's going through. You know, I could have probably read a lot of books about miscarriage and been educated until had to have experience you know, then it, it changed the way. And so, you know, we can't all have the experience of this mental health issue or, you know, this sin issue or this relationship issue. You know, we don't, we can't do all of that. So the best we can do is be able to be educated, informed, and perhaps connect other people who have had those experiences. And that's true discipleship when we invite those people into the process to help us walk alongside other people. So this is why I think lived experience 
is something that's incredibly beneficial within our care ministries and within the church is tapping into the people who've had lived experience. They can come right alongside with others. And then as a ministry leader, lay leader, what have you, if you don't have the lived experience, that's okay. You can still be educated so that you understand. Yeah. And I think that's where, um, why I'm so excited you're part of the care ministry cohort as a coach and and leading groups um, going through our five-month program, because this is what it's all about. It's all about bringing in the tools and the education and the awareness and saying your church can be effective and come alongside and bring transformation to the community that you're in, because this is what God has intended for the church. This was the plan that the local church can become the community, the place of belonging, the place of healing uh, for so, so many. Can you share um, your first impressions of the cohort? Have you received some of the feedback? I know you're, you've been in cohorts, you're, you're leading um, a group now. What is some of the feedback or the experiences of the people that you've been working with? Yeah. So I think uh, week to week, it's been, it's been fun to be able to hear some of the feedback that really, that it's timing, which is just no Mm -hmm. surprise to me. (laughs) Um, this is the way the Lord works is the timing is always right when, um, it's in his timing. And so I think that the people that are in the cohort right now, um, that, you know, are listening, listening to the things when they're not there, they're interacting, you know, when we're discussing, they're sharing resources, you know, what Mm -hmm. is so fun for me to see is that, or, and to hear is the, wow, this is the perfect timing. A couple of weeks ago, we were working on some budget stuff and someone in the group was like, oh my gosh, this week I have to be doing a budget. And now this is like changing yeah. the way I'm able to look at doing the budget. Or somebody was yeah. asking on the care Facebook group, you know, what would it look like for this? And, uh, and it was like, oh, just wait, just wait, because we're, we're getting there, you know, but <laughs> the timing of giving people the information and then the timing of those who are in the group where they are in their ministries and how they're feeling. So for those that might be feeling exceptionally weary at this, at this stage, Mm -hmm. because they're coming from different backgrounds and, you know, different ministry struggles to those who are fresh and they're energetic and exciting and being able to sort of share that together. So I think for me, the feedback might be a bit more indirect that I observe than directly Mm -hmm. what I'm necessarily being told, but I can see, you know, that there's a a lot of that support there. That's, that's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the feedback that I've heard. Those two elements as well is the community that's created in the groups that people are encouraged that they're not alone doing this, that other people are facing the same challenges like budget. I thought you wanted me to pray and visit people in the hospital. Now I have to do a budget. Like that kind of came out of left field. And so we're there to support them. And, 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 and so all the tools and the um, resources that they're going to need to be able to be effective in caring for their people, that's all readily available. Like you said, over a five month period, we walk with people through all that, but also the community like I said, they're not alone. Mm-hmm. There's other people facing this. So friendships are are created and people are able to connect and hear what other people are doing in their church, what has worked and sometimes more valuable, what hasn't worked. Um, and it's just really cool. Really, really cool to see. All right. I think we are at our time. Do you have anything um, that you wanted to share or encourage the people, whether it's from your ministry experience or about the cohort or really anything? Is there anything else that you wanted to share? 
I think um, I just want to encourage ministry leaders, you know, wherever you are in the process of leadership that the Lord is taking you or that you have accessibility to, um, that you're in that place. And so the Lord wants to use you in that place. And so, you know, just really lean into him, lean into his word. Um, do not neglect the spiritual disciplines. Um, and, uh, you know, really gauge out some of your own energy levels, where you're feeling about things and read up on, uh, some stuff that might have to do with some boundaries, um, and being sure Mm -hmm. that you just don't deplete yourself, you know? So I think that the, the Lord never calls us to be in depletion, you know, he doesn't call Mm -hmm. us to be exhausted. Um, he calls, he calls us, you know, at the end of the day is like a good and faithful servant, you know, well done, well done. And so being well done does not mean like a well done steak, you know, uh, he <laughs> wants us to be a little bit juicy. Uh, <laughs> I love that. So sorry for the vegans that are out there, but think about portobello <laughs> mushroom if that's, if that's what you desire. Um, you know, and so find community if you don't have it. Yeah. I think at the very least, if, you, if the timing isn't right for you right now to do a cohort, lean into the Facebook group, join the mm-hmm. uh, care ministry Facebook group and get to know other people that are in your area, connect with other people and really try to find that community and support of individuals that are facing some of the same struggles that you are. It's it's hard to do care ministries and it's hard to do that yeah. for a lot of reasons. And so like the Lord is equipping you and he has equipped you. And so you just have to really lean into that and rest and know. That's a good word, Rebecca. Thank you. That touched me personally. And I hope, uh, I hope it reached the people listening. Thank you so much for joining our team. Thank you for leading so well. Thank you for caring for all of us, Rebecca. I am so grateful for you. Thank you. I love it. 